dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. In today's short story club, we're discussing The Prairie Wife by Curtis Sittenfeld. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I'm glad we're doing short story club this month. Me too. We thought about doing something else because it's summer and sometimes we get a little antsy to try something new, but short story club is really fun. We found a great list of summary short stories. We'll put the whole list in our show notes. And we picked this one because it sounded so (laughs) non-classic. Yeah, it sounded very modern. And we've talked about Curtis Sittenfeld a couple of times on the podcast. I think you've mentioned how much you love prep, American Wife. And we talked about um, Eligible when we talked about Pride and Prejudice. So Curtis Sittenfeld has been a presence on the podcast for a while. And so it was appealing to grab one of her short stories. Yeah. So just as a heads up in these short story club episodes, we do get into spoilers. We're going to talk about the short story from beginning to end. So if you don't mind spoilers, keep listening, If you even if you haven't read. But this episode is probably better if you've read the story. It's a little bit longer than some other short stories we've covered, but I'd say it took me 15 or 20 minutes to read it. So not that bad. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was under half an hour. It was just a quick one sitting read. And I was focused and like drawn into it the whole time. Me too. It hooks you right away. And it's available on the New Yorker and you can actually listen to Curtis Sittenfeld read it to you if you want to do an audio version of the short story. So We'll put links to all of that if you want to go check it out real quick and then come back. But we are going to dive into this story. I thought it was funny. We have covered a short story on the podcast, The Hunter's Wife. Yeah. (laughs) And now we're doing The Prairie Wife. But in this short story, The Prairie Wife does not refer to the main character. It sort of refers to a persona Um, of like a mom, food blogger, social media star that I thought was maybe kind of based on Reed Drummond, who's the pioneer woman. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught that at all. Yeah, I I had her in mind. I also had um, the dishing up the dirt um, food blogger in mind. I don't know if you follow her. I don't know that one. Because the Prairie Wife's cookbook is dish in with the prairie wife oh yeah (laughs) um yeah and then I also just had I think in general because it's you know touched on in the story that the prairie wife is sort of ambiguously Christian in some way so I was also thinking about a lot of the like Christian and Mormon mom bloggers. Mm-hmm. I I feel like it was a great compilation of like all of these really big <laughs> influencers. Yeah, you knew exactly, you could picture exactly who <laughs> Sittenfeld was writing about. Um, but yeah, like you said, it it could be could be anyone and was totally made up. Um yeah, so like you said, we found this on a list of summer short stories. I thought it might be fun to just 
obviously we'll talk about like our general thoughts, whether we liked it or not, but also whether we think it belonged on that list of summer stories. Did it feel like a summer read to us? Yes and no. I think parts of it did. Of course, um, we get a lot of flashbacks in this story. Not even a lot, but we get flashbacks in the story to our main character, Kirsten's time as a summer camp counselor, which is where she met Lucy, who went on to become the prairie wife. So, yeah, of course, like camp setting, all of that feels very summery. I'd say there's also something about like just the nostalgic feel that feels a little summery to me. I think because for so many of us, summer just has such a particular seasonal feel. It is a season where various nostalgic elements can come kind of sneaking back into your mind. And so that part felt summery to me. How about to you? Yeah, I think the summer camp flashbacks were definitely the most summer related, like, oh, that's why it made it on this list. But also it's just, um, there are some deeper themes to consider here, but it's kind of a breezy short story Mm -hmm. read. It's, there's a little bit of, you know, sort of gossip and friendship drama, relationship drama that just kind of seems like a beach read to me, but I really enjoyed it. I, have a collection of Sittenfeld's short stories on my shelf, but I had never opened it. And I really liked this one and thought it was well-crafted. So I'm definitely curious to pick that up. Yeah, I haven't read her collection of short stories either, but I've heard a lot of people like it. And even people who don't enjoy her novels as much seem to really like that collection. So it's called You Think It, I'll Say It. And I want to pick it up now after reading this one. And I'm curious, actually, if this one is in the collection. I didn't go and look. But sometimes that's the case where one of or a couple of the stories will appear in other publications. But yeah, I I think I was very drawn in, which is really what I want in a short story, that it just compels me to, to sit there and read from beginning to end. If I have to, like, really work through a short story, that's tough for me. Like you said, it was breezy, a little bit gossipy, a little bit dramatic. Um, I don't know, kind of on par with our Roman fever discussion from last summer, where they're just, you feel like it's kind of a quieter story. And then there are these reveals that you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, So yeah, it was a really fun read. So the premise is that Kirsten is a mom of two boys and is married to Casey. The opening scene is them getting ready to go to school. Casey is a principal. So Kirsten kind of shuffles the family out the door and is left to her own thoughts for a while. But every morning when she wakes up, she checks Twitter and (laughs) social media, and she is obsessed with Lucy Hedricks, who is this... Prairie wife. She's a food blogger, mom blogger, has that like perfect lifestyle, has a ton of fans, has some semblance of fame, has a book coming out. And so 
we then get some hints that Kirsten knows something about Lucy that could potentially upend her whole career. Kirsten is really angry at Lucy, calls her a hypocrite, and slowly the relationship between these two women is revealed. And then there's just a really nice turn in the story where I was really upset with Kirsten and was just thinking like, oh, I don't, I was even thinking like, oh, I don't know that we're going to want to cover this on the podcast, but then the turn in the story redeemed a lot for me. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I think you and I uh, both procrastinated a little bit (laughs) reading this. (laughs) And yeah, I would say too, about halfway through, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Maybe we should go back to the list. But yeah, I, I thought the turn did redeem things. It was interesting. And I do think that that's pretty, I don't know, typical of Sittenfeld in some of my experiences with her. She's really good at creating cringy moments. She's really good at creating characters who really kind of wind back and forth between likable and unlikable. And I'd say for for Kirsten, it's it's not, I mean, she does have have her moments of being like deeply unlikable and doing things that we wish she wouldn't. But it's more that we don't have the full picture until the end. Those turns and big reveals are what I think really makes a short story mm-hmm. good. Like a tight plot like that, even though there isn't really much plot here, it's just the turns and character are what keep you sucked in. But we're going to get into spoiler territory here. So here's your warning if you haven't read the short story yet. But it turns out that when Kirsten and Lucy were at summer camp back in the day, they had a romantic relationship Mostly a sexual relationship, I guess I would say, but then it kind of turned into something romantic by the end of the summer. And the part that made me really struggle with Kirsten or Kirsten um, and wonder like, oh, is this going to be problematic for us to discuss on the podcast is there was a lot of internalized homophobia on the page and the way that their sexual encounters were described were just not written um, with a romantic tinge to it or just, I don't know, they were, they were written in a way that I was like, this reads really homophobic, but granted we were really in Kirsten's mind. Um, and I also think Sittenfeld just has a way of writing about sex that is kind of, like you said, cringy. (laughs) And so I, I do want to say that could just kind of be part of her style and the way she writes about those situations. Um, but So then we spend like the middle of the story really angry at Kirsten um, because she's furious with Lucy, who is married to a man now. Um, And there's just there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And Kirsten insists throughout this relationship with Lucy to Lucy that she's she's straight this is just you know something she's experimenting with but she really like like you said that internalized homophobia is very much present and that is really it's hard to to read and witness i i think and like you said sittenfeld exacerbates that with the way she writes the the sex scenes and i do think 
it's intentional and also very much her style. <laughs> She's not for every reader. <laughs> the short story will not be for every reader. But I, and and yes, I was really, I trusted her that we were going to be going somewhere where she was going to be offering commentary that was relevant and interesting and dependent on doing those things and making Kirsten un- unlikable in those moments. But, and it's, I guess it's nice that it's a short story because you get there pretty quickly. <laughs> but yeah, th- those moments were tough. I think we've talked about other books on the the podcast where we've given trigger warnings for that sort of internalized homophobia. And it's, it's a difficult thing to encounter on the page. Yeah. Um, but it, it can be part of someone's experience Mm -hmm. in uncovering or rediscovering their sexuality or, you know, figuring out their sexual identity. And so, you know, I don't, I, I want to say that definitely gave me pause because I'm, I'm not sure how Sittenfeld herself would identify herself. I know there's been a lot of conversation about authors not having to out themselves in order to write what they want to write. And just, you know, the conversation around what we mean by own voices and who gets to write what. So, you know, I, I wanted to step around that carefully, but also, um, yeah. So I was just wondering I just want to be conscious of like where this was coming from, from Sittenfeld and how we discussed it on the podcast. But the turnaround really, really brought brought it all home for me. Yeah. And so, I mean, we when we're seeing Kirsten as this maybe spiteful, catty kind of home still, we think maybe like harboring some homophobia. She and this man in her office, they have this friendship that's just built on hating the the prairie wife and they love gossiping about her. And and Kirsten has told him about her history with with Lucy. And the, the day the short story takes place is the day that Lucy's book comes out. And so um, Frank... And Kirsten are very excited to like talk about this and kind of, you know, shit all over this book and just (laughs) be mean spirited about it. And an ongoing thread of their relationship is discussing whether they should publicly out Lucy, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. And you can tell it's something that Kirsten's been thinking about for a long time she's she's even contemplated like how she would do it who she would need to contact frank has said that he would do it for her if that's more comfortable like it's really just just terrible and on the day of lucy's book release she does a big interview on you know some daytime talk show <laughs> and <laughs> she comes out herself and that's one of one of the twists of of the story and she comes out as bisexual and I yeah what did you think of that moment were you surprised I wasn't surprised um I I feel like I was prepping 
for that from the start or I think it might have been what I was hoping for because mm-hmm. Kirsten was being so terrible and I just wanted to say like don't let's not get trapped in by erasure <laughs> um and just really wanted that possibility to be there um for for that sake and um yeah I so I don't know that I viewed that as the twist as much um but I, yeah, so I was, I was kind of anticipating that part. Yeah, I, I agree. I was, I was hopeful of that. And I didn't think that the story was going to go with Kirsten outing Lucy. Yeah. But I, I figured something big would happen along, along those lines. And I'm so glad that Lucy got to share her, her story and her identity on her own terms and I really liked the way Sittenfeld described it where Lucy and Frank they've gone to a bar in the middle of the workday to watch this interview and Kirsten or maybe I called Kirsten Lucy but um Kirsten is watching Lucy's interview and already starting to empathize with her immediately mm-hmm. she notices that Lucy looks nervous she's shaking yeah she has this big smile on her face but she can kind of notice a little bit of fear in her eyes. And then it it turns out that she has in her book come out. And so now she's kind of answering some questions about it in this interview. And I really, you, you brought up by erasure just a moment ago, and I really appreciated how in just a few like back and forths from the interview, Sittenfeld kind of addresses that as well. The interviewer says, well, you're married to a man, so you're not bisexual anymore. Mm-hmm. And I loved the way that Lucy responded to that. Like, a change in circumstances doesn't change your identity. And, and then, of course, Kirsten and Frank are just, like, tearing up yeah. <laughs> in the bar because it's meaningful to them. And I especially loved that because we get to see a little bit of Frank, and it's evident that he just, like— wants to crap on all famous people (laughs) and be really, really petty about it. Um, And so Kirsten is really struck when he gets emotional that like, oh my goodness, this is actually a really big moment. And also knowing, so remember Lucy is this lifestyle influencer. She's in the food space, mothering. She's vaguely Christian, as people have said. And knowing that her following and most of the people who adore her might be really upset by this news also just really unlocks something for Kirsten and Frank and makes them see her as more brave and admirable. Mm -hmm. And Kirsten thinks back to meeting Lucy at camp and how Lucy said at camp that she was going to be out to her her campers because she wanted them to know that they could be whoever they were. And now she sees Lucy's kind of, you know, announcement as both about Lucy herself and being authentically her and about helping other people in who are her followers feel that way too. And so she stops or she questions her her view of Lucy as a hypocrite and thinks, well, maybe her values have really 
in many ways stayed the same all these years. Yeah. And meanwhile, we know that Kirsten is married to Casey, but we never see any gendered pronouns relating to Casey. And so the whole time I was wondering, is Casey a man, woman, non-binary? How does Casey identify in this? Because we know that Kirsten had sort of this awakening experience with Lucy at camp and that she fell a little bit for Lucy in that they stayed in touch as when they went back to college and sort of like um, Kirsten tried really hard. It seemed like to put that experience aside and move in a different direction, but we, we don't actually know how Kirsten responded to that moment throughout her life. Um, but then we find out that Casey is a woman and that Kirsten's story of, you know, how Lucy really is the one who like helped her discover her sexual awakening that like, Oh, Hey, I like women. Um, that that's a huge part of Kirsten's story here. Yeah. And, and because of that, you can see how Lucy ending up married to, to a man would just be something that Kirsten thought about a lot. Again, I think that her like contemplating outing Lucy and all of those kind of spiteful feelings she has, we're not supposed to be like, oh, now it all makes sense and all is forgiven. But it, yeah, Lucy was so fundamental to Kirsten's understanding of herself and to feel like she doesn't understand Lucy and then would add to, uh, I think, just uncertainty and and questioning, just re- rehashing so much of the past, which I think is what we see Kirsten doing. Yeah. And it seems like she's doing that to be catty and maybe because she is uncomfortable with her own identity um, or she's, you know, uncomfortable. We think that Kirsten is coming at that and she's being catty, maybe being, you know, homophobic in some way or just sort of still holding that internalized disgust for herself, which you don't want. um, But you also don't want someone to turn that outward. (laughs) And so we think that, you know, Kirsten might be the one being a hypocrite. But then it turns out really that she's just nostalgic. She was a little bit heartbroken by the situation with Lucy. And she's just getting sucked into the lie of social media like the rest of us do, where you see someone's perfect life and it makes you upset because your life doesn't resemble that. And that, you know, it just is more to do with that, like, very relatable situation of wondering what could have been and like imagining the different paths that your life could have taken because you're maybe a little bit bored or unhappy in the moment. Um, Or like I said, comparing and comparing and comparing your life to someone else's. And that that is really more of where this is coming from rather than this, you know, internalized anguish that we think Kirsten might be harboring. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really fascinating and and lovely turn and I love the conversation that Kirsten and and Casey have at the end and that the conversation doesn't 
really have any real resolution, but they just kind of, you know, talk about where they are in in their lives. And Kirsten kind of admits that what what makes her so obsessed with Lucy is just remembering the feeling of how much Lucy liked her and how she didn't appreciate that and she didn't enjoy that. And she's worried no one will ever feel like that that way about her again, which I think is a you know a big thing to admit to anyone, let alone your wife. And they have this really, you know, great conversation about, well, this is the moment in time where we're in. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it ended really nicely with not too much resolution, but like a, a satisfying end. Yeah. And it wasn't heavy handed on the social media commentary. Mm-hmm. And yet it was that was there that mm-hmm. was present in the background. But it wasn't. um yeah, like I said, it, it just wasn't overly heavy-handed that's like, oh, the theme is that this is bad yeah, <laughs> for us. Yeah. And staring at Instagram and Twitter all the time makes us unhappy in our lives. But that was just very um, nicely and subtly threaded through the story in the way that that Lucy was a, was a star. Yeah, I, I thought that was great because I think sometimes books about social media can just end up being and feeling really dated because it changes so fast. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, that this might have some of that as well. Like we're in like this very peak influencer moment, but the feelings of comparison of nostalgia of what ifs are timeless. And so Mm -hmm. I, I think the story really works without, being, like you said, heavy-handed in that way. Yeah, I also thought it wasn't overly heavy-handed, partly because we know that Lucy is a little bit of a mom blogger and like motherhood is mentioned a bit, but we know Kirsten has a couple of boys, but the like anguished mothering comparison isn't present Mm -hmm. in here. Which I know that can be very exhausting mm-hmm. and very feel very fraught is just the whole like moms comparing themselves to other moms yeah. issue with social media. One of my favorite parts of the <laughs> story was just, I don't know, Kirsten seeing some like looking at Lucy's other followers and seeing another woman's bio that's like, you know, happy mom of two boys and Kirsten just thinking, yeah, who isn't? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah. Which I just thought was really a funny response to that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I would read a Curtis Sittenfeld story again. Yeah, me too. I might pull out that collection at some point. Um, because, yeah, the, like like we said up front, her her stories, at least this one and, and knowing from her novels, they all have that kind of drama, gossipy um, setup, or at least like a little bit of intrigue going through. But they all are, at least I've found what I've read to be really relatable and down to earth in, in another way. So I, I think they're fun and maybe good, good summer picks, even if they don't have the direct summer camp uh, vibe that this one does. Yeah, and this 
just, I don't know, we didn't necessarily plan it that way, but it is a nice short story to read right before we get into Edith Wharton. Mm -hmm. And we get into sort of the gossipy drama book of our summer season. This was a, a nice bridge. All right, Chelsea. Well, we talked about how this short story was available from the New Yorker to listen to, which is great because you and I both love listening to stories. So, of course, we have to give a shout out to our favorite audiobook company, Libro FM, who have been keeping us in books this summer. I know we've both been really loving getting outside with our audiobooks. So, what are you listening to now? I am listening to Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. I actually switched from reading the copy I had from the library to listening to the audiobook because I had heard that the audiobook was really, really, really good. Just a lot of recommendations to go with the audiobook version. So I made a little switch and I'm really enjoying that one. What about you, Sarah? I listened to that one as well and I I echo that recommendation. I'm listening to Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which I'm also really enjoying on on audio. This book was on the Women's Prize for Fiction long list. I've heard great things and had been wanting to pick it up for a while. And it's bigger. And so I think it was just kind of intimidating me to pick up as a summer read. So I downloaded it from Libro and it's been fantastic on audio. Perfect. Well, we get a lot of questions from listeners about which classics to read on audio, and usually our answer is all of them. <laughs> Any classic you want to is audio is the way to go. So with a Libro FM subscription, you can get two audiobooks for the price of one and support your local independent bookstore and download classics, download our contemporary recommendations, and listen to your audiobooks all summer. And you can do that with the code Novel Pairings. Or you can go through the link in our show notes. All right. Let's give some more summer read recommendations. So we each have just a couple of pairings for this short story. We usually move through these a little bit quicker on these episodes, but we want to make sure we're still putting some good books into your hands. So Chelsea, what are you pairing with The Prairie Wife? I thought that a fun summer read that you and I both enjoyed last year would make a good pairing for this, Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. This was just a fun summer read, like the epitome of a beach read, I think. And it's about two friends who are kind of estranged from each other, a little bit frenemies, Um, but one comes back into the other's life. They are big on social media, and social media influencing is a fairly significant part of this story, and I think that Jen Weiner's commentary is really fascinating and that she weaves it into the plot in such a way that like, it is a big part of it, and she's definitely trying to say something, Um, but you're so hooked on wanting to know what happens next that... You're not just like mired and bogged down by like, oh, well, I need to delete all my apps. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just a lot of fun. There are lots of twists and turns and unexpected surprises. There's a lot of drama and gossip. And the end of this story is just really wild. So I think 
Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner would be a a fun pairing for this one. I also, I well, Sittenfeld kind of sets her stories wherever she needs to, but this is a Cape Cod setting. And so Big Summer, like truly, I mean, the title says it all. Like it is a summer book. Mm -hmm. So I just think it fits well here in our summer season. Definitely. My first pairing is really leaning heavily into the social media element of this short story. And this might be one of those stories that does just feel so specific to a time that people will read it 10 years from now and be like, what is this? But (laughs) to read it right now, it feels very timely. It is No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. And this book is super hard to explain because it's just so radically different than anything I've read, but it is about a social media influencer kind of, or at least someone who's kind of gone viral on on Twitter and just really lives in the social media landscape. So much so that even in how they think and how Lockwood writes from this perspective is just mired with memes and references to things that have happened on social media. And you can feel if you're not like a very active Twitter person, which I am not kind of lost in this. And I, I think that's how how you're supposed to feel like you're kind of down the rabbit hole with the main character. And then she gets a text from her mom. Something has happened in her family and it kind of pulls her back into the real world. So the first half and the second half feel totally different. That's there's it's not twisty, but there is that sort of shaken out of the ideas of or shaken out of that kind of murkiness of social media and then back into the real world feel of this of this book. And I think it's it's really fascinating. I it's short, so even though it can be kind of a slow read as you're trying to figure out what is going on and what Lockwood is doing here. Um, You're still moving through the book at a pretty good, good pace. And I think it's just does a really good job of showing how social media can become our, our world and maybe a little bit less about the comparison game and just more about how it alters our reality as a whole, which is, equally interesting and and true i think about how social media affects us so there's also um a great lit hub article about this where they they give you images and explainers for all of the memes that lockwood is referencing which i find very handy so i'll put a link we'll put a link to that in our show notes as well so that is no one is coming to save us by patricia lockwood That sounds like a good one. Okay, I have a YA selection for us. This is Cool for the Summer by Dahlia Adler. And it's about Lara, who has had a crush on Chase Harding, freshman through junior year of high school. And they're in their senior year now. And all of a sudden, this football star, handsome hunk, is like flirting with her. And she's like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I wanted. But 
she had this summer before school started where she met this really perfect girl named Jasmine. And so she is just kind of confused because that summer relationship was a little bit romantic. And Lara is just grappling with her feelings because she can't get Jasmine out of her mind. Like I said, she just really had a great summer with her, but she is still crushing pretty hard on this football player. And um, of course, just as Chase is like pursuing her and they start to have this relationship and she's really excited. Jasmine sort of re-enters the picture. And it's this very kind of like Grease um, summer story, which is fun, but it is also just about self-discovery and falling in love. And um, I think like I really like YA. I think YA is a fantastic space for stories of self-discovery, but I also wish there were more contemporary adult stories where people were still discovering themselves because I think, um, I mean, Prairie Wife is a good example here where, you know, Lucy is in college and she's at this summer camp and she's telling everyone like really loud and proud, I'm a lesbian. She's like really clear about this is who I am. And presumably when she's a little farther into adulthood is when she discovers her bisexuality. So I do wish that there were more, um, adult stories in this space where, you know, this self-discovery and, um, I don't know that where that was the case, but YA is just such a great spot for that right now. And Dahlia Adler's fantastic. Um, I just think she's a great writer. I've read some of her short stories actually, but I haven't um, read many of her full novels. So it's a little bit of a flip-flop here, but that is Cool for the Summer by Dahlia Adler. And it's got a great, like a really fantastic, fun cover. Oh, that sounds really fun. Well, if you are looking for more of those adult stories about self-discovery, you might like this one. My next pairing is Under the Rainbow by Celia Lasky. And this is a book I read last year and just really, really enjoyed and would love to see it get a little bit more love. It starts with kind of a dramatic premise similar to a Sittenfeld story and then just becomes, I think, really more deeply about day-to-day humanity and our interactions with the people around us and how those shape our our views of ourselves and and our identities. So the the big dramatic premise is that this town in Kansas, Big Burr, has been named the most homophobic town in America. And so this kind of task force of an LGBTQ organization, they they move there to try and change the hearts and minds of the people of Big Burr. And so there's, I think the task force has like five, five people in different stages of life. Some have kids, some are in couples, some move there as single people. And in this collection, we, because it is, it it's a novel in short stories. And so we get to meet members of the task force and really be in their stories and their heads, members of the town, uh, Big Burr, who are, you know, 
wrestling with being labeled the most homophobic town in America and also with the arrival of the this task force into their town. And it's just, it's a great, uh, it's a great like small town um, type of book. I think if you like Schitt's Creek, you would probably like Under the Rainbow. It kind of has that, that feel of this community. And, you know, not everyone that Celia Lasky introduces us to is someone you want to root for. She doesn't like, she doesn't uh, suggest that, oh, this town wasn't homophobic after all. Everyone there is lovely and they just needed to meet somebody who was different from them. Like that's, that's not it at all. There certainly are, um, there's certainly depictions of hatred and intolerance and bigotry in this collection. But there really is a lot of heart and hope in it, just especially in exactly what you were talking about with Cool for the Summer. This just the characters learning more about themselves and who they are and who they want to be, whether that's in regards to their sexuality or sometimes it's in regards to to something else that kind of gets awakened in them as they as they open themselves up to people who are different from them. And it's just, it's a really lovely collection. And yeah, I think it pairs well because of the the drama that pulls you in, but then it's really more just a heartfelt story about very real people. And because of that depiction of a sort of consistent into adulthood questioning and coming to understand who who we are and that that doesn't necessarily stop when when we're teens and I really like that depiction. So that is Under the Rainbow by Celia Lasky. I have my paperback copy that I got from you and it's pretty high on my TBR list. Like I definitely know I want to read it this summer and interconnected short stories that's just been a format that's really been working for my brain lately. So I'm glad that you gave me that reminder about that. I'll be excited to hear what you think. And I I will say this is interconnected short stories and we never return to any of the narrators. So you do get to see what happens to them in other people's stories. But I, I know that for some people that can like make a make or break a collection of short stories. So just know that going into this one. So I think we have a couple podcasts to recommend here too. These are like our picks of the week or bonus pairings, but I definitely was thinking about the Under the Influence podcast hosted by Joe Piazza as I was reading this story where she really does a deep dive into mom blogger slash mom influencer culture and lifestyle influencer culture in general. And she takes a investigative journalism approach to the topic. And so I was just really thinking about that. I mean, even from the first page of this short story, I was thinking about Joe's podcast. I think that it's going to come back for another season, Mm. which I'm excited about. I think it was only like six episodes. Maybe it was eight. Um, But I blew through them pretty quick and I was really fascinated by it. And I actually recorded a Patreon bonus episode where I paired a handful of 
titles with that under the influence podcast. So if you are interested in more books like this short story, more books like that podcast, we have that episode over on Patreon. Yeah, I was thinking about that podcast too, especially just how Kirsten, you know, wakes up and first thing in the morning, she's scrolling through Twitter. I'm pretty sure the (laughs) podcast starts with Joe Piazza staying up way too late to scroll through Instagram. So (laughs) yeah, the kind of corresponding podcast would be Be There in Five with Kate Kennedy. She, I mean, she does a ton of different topics, but she has a series about um, Mormon mom bloggers. And I, her, her podcast format is like totally different. Like it's just her. Her episodes are often upwards of two hours long, and they are very meandering. So save this for when you have a road trip or if you want to just break it up a little bit. It doesn't have that like um, concise, sharp feel that Under the Influence does. But Kate Kennedy talks about her kind of obsession with some of these mom bloggers and how interested she is in this idea of portraying like your motherhood and your faith in these very stylized packages. And I I was thinking a lot about that. Well, I was thinking about Lucy and how she portrayed her, her style and her, her faith and her recipes all as kind of this one, um, one branded lifestyle package. And so, yeah, I, I, thought those episodes were really interesting uh, rabbit holes on Be There in Five. So we mentioned our Patreon community. We launched that last season and it's just been so much fun to get to know our fellow nerdy readers. And Sarah and I do individual episodes where we do personal pairings and we pair books with movies, TV shows, podcasts, other books, or just what we're currently reading. And then we have episodes that we record together where we do extra deep dives, sort of, uh, I don't know, extra historical context for what we're reading on the podcast or just bonus book recommendations. And it's been a lot of fun to put those out and put those together. We also teach classes, host book club chats, and have a really fun Discord channel going. So if you want to be part of our Patreon community, you can go to patreon.com slash novel pairings to join. And if you just want to support the podcast because you love our regular episodes, you can join our Patreon community and support us and you don't have to participate. It's it is <laughs> totally fine. Um, there is no pressure. It just helps us keep our show running. And we so, so appreciate your listener support. Another great way to support us is by signing up for our weekly newsletter. That's at novelpairings.substack.com. There we kind of keep you up to date about what we have coming up and going on at the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at Novel Pairings Pod, and we really love to hear what you think of what we're reading over on Instagram. So if you read The Prairie Wife, make sure to share and to tag us and to show us that you're listening by tagging us in your Instagram stories. Of course, another great way to keep spreading the word about Novel Pairings Podcast is word of mouth, telling your reader friends that you love our show or sending them a link to your favorite episode or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Those really do make a difference.
difference, which is why we say it every week. (laughs) Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we will be back with an episode on The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.